Welcome back to the Black Belt Podcast. You're listening to episode 5. Make sure after listening, or even before, go leave the podcast a like and review. Also, make sure to subscribe. And don't be afraid to share the podcast on social media. If you're looking to stay up to date with everything happening with the podcast, you can find it at the Black Belter underscore on Instagram and the Black Belter on Facebook. Remember, for people who are enjoying the podcast and would like to make a small monthly donation to help cover studio costs, you can do so through the Patreon page. There'll be a link in the description and there's also a link on the website, theblackbelter.com. Today's guest is Mr. Richie Ford. Richie has many achievements in ITF Taekwondo, highlights being a European gold in 2010, a European Cup gold in 2013, as well as being part of the team sparring team that took gold at the 2015 World Championships. Richie is also the head coach at East Cork Taekwondo, where as a relatively new club, they have experienced many milestones in the recent months. Today, I talked to Richie about his experiences as both a competitor and a coach, and how he would like to see Taekwondo training develop moving into the future. So, let's get into it. Four, three, two, one. What's up, Richie? Jimmy. Thanks a million for doing it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so... Uh, like I start, started all the other podcasts, we'll start with uh, how did you start Taekwondo and why, any particular reason? Uh, well, at the beginning it was just basically because when I was younger I was kind of like quiet and uh, whatever and the parents were like, right we need to get him into something, kind of like I suppose toughen him up or whatever was the the attitude you... and um, it was karate that I actually went to look at it the first, you know? Yeah. Uh, I remember going down to a karate club when I was young. I was about seven, maybe, and we went upstairs, and there was a load of black belt senior class, obviously, and there was loads of shouting going on, and, and I was like, all right, I'm not a big fan of this here. <laughs> <laughs> I said it to my dad, right? And uh, he was just like, oh, go on, just give it a try, give it a try, whatever. And I was like, no, I'm not a fan of this. Uh, you know, let's try something else, whatever. And I remember we went outside on this, just literally went out the door of the club and walked up the hill uh, towards the car. And I remember there was a friend of my dad's just walking down the hill at the same time. And he stopped chatting, whatever, as you do. And he mentioned it, where we were and what the plan was, whatever. And I remember him saying um, that his son was actually, after starting in Taekwondo Club, and it was actually based in the school that I was in. So because right, I kind of handy. knew that, because I knew him then, you know, I was like, right, at least I know somebody here. We yeah, can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's is, big. That's big. Yeah, and then that that was it, really. And you know the way it is for kids. Like even at the moment, now, like in the club that I have, whatever. Like when kids come in first, they're always just shy and nervous, and all they want is just something they can latch onto for a bit of comfort. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And just having that person that you already knew is a massive thing. Like, others, it helps so much when they come into the club. And they just the first thing they see is somebody from school or something like, oh, I know this yeah, guy. Yeah. So like they just they're straight in like they'll start running around playing chase or whatever. There's, yeah, no, there's yeah. nothing worse than when they're there all kind of sheepish and they're kind of trying to go, oh, come on, come on onto the floor. And it's actually to... funny. Actually, uh, last week I remember a kid came in and uh, he was like, oh, 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 this guy is from my school. This guy is from my school. And he got so, so excited, like as if he's never seen the guy outside of the classroom before. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I had that just this week. Just had I had a couple of new kids started. One kid knew, I think, two or three people in the class and was straight in, like as if he'd been there the last yeah, six yeah. months. And I had another kid come in and was just like, didn't even, barely got the shoes and socks off and didn't want to step on the floor yeah. at all. But you know what? I do think as well, though, um, the parents being there is actually thing as well like the longer the parents stay the longer the kid will be kind of nervous and more oh. willing to jump to that big time you, know, if you give him a bit of tough love and just send him in the door and say right i'm off i'll collect you in an hour i think that's probably the best approach because actually when i think back now of when i started there was no parents actually waited in the club it was all they were waited outside the, the hall and we'd all go in and that was it and it's probably looking back now it probably is the best way to just literally just try in the deep end I was only talking to Adrian about this uh, yesterday, like like that, um, like the kid who was scared to come onto the floor. Her man was saying, oh, "I don't think I'll stay the next night. I think I'll uh, tip tip away, and uh, uh, yeah. like she'll have to crack on then." And like I had a kid a couple of months ago when he started back in September. Like any time, I just said something like, "Get a get a partner," because we were going to maybe do a bit of a sparring game or something. He get all yeah. shy like because he had to go and find a partner, but now 
when a couple of new kids started and he was no longer the new kid and that now he's like he's crazy like you know he's stuck in like yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's actually a personality in the class yeah, as well no exactly you know yeah. I but, suppose it's actually it's easier as well when kids join in we say like September the big months where a lot of people would join a new sport yeah, um, yeah. because obviously there's they're not the only kid that's brand new you know what I mean I think that actually makes a bit of a difference as well yeah I suppose it's always a thing isn't it when you're, nobody wants to be the new kid that's it yeah <laughs> Uh, how did you find in uh, competing as a colour belt? Any anything stand out as when you kind of first started? Any memories? Uh, I remember I was always my first tournament. Like back then, it was a bit more kind of oh well, I suppose not as well organised. I suppose I remember my very first tournament. Uh, I was competing. I was a white belt, obviously, and I was competing against people who are like blue and red belts. Yeah, who have been training for a few years, you know. Um, and I remember my very first one. I got to the final. It was a, it, it was a 25th anniversary GTF tournament in Cork, and um, I remember I got a silver medal in my very first tournament, and um, beaten by actually Matthew Try, you know Matthew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that that was the very very first one, and after that, then I kind of sprung from there. There was a couple of like inter clubs and whatever, and then when I was around maybe. 11 I started traveling up and down the country mostly to Dublin back then to go to tournaments and to be honest back then I was just literally just a brawler <laughs> yeah it's kind of like that way as well when when you see some kids today like they can just literally use just like their brute strength and push people back and kind of bully them a little bit not much skill involved you know what I mean yeah not too, not, not, that, not, that not too intelligent that how, yeah that was kind of how I picked up the medals really as a kid um, and it's, it's it's kind of strange, really, because you know my sparring style is kind of not really like that now. Yeah, you're like, for the more like tag game, game bit of yeah, more more playful style. Yeah, I try to just feel loose and maybe like counter style. Like I I love countering. Like I just love playing and maybe like just someone t- pulling a shot and just pulling off it and scoring a nice shot of my own. That's what I love doing the most. And it's kind of strange because like I was never like that as a kid. Yeah. So I'm be along the way maybe. Maybe it's a mixture of maybe personality changing and also maybe a mixture of just becoming a little bit more skillful. Because as I said back when I was a kid, obviously it was just gung-ho and not much skill involved, you know what I mean? Well, there was definitely a personality change because you, you said you only started because you were shy and you're definitely not shy Actually, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's kind of weird because like, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Like when you start, <laughs> would be shy and that was kind of the reason. It's actually, that's actually a good point. I never even thought of that. Yeah. Uh, would you have done patterns much, or would you have put put much yeah, yeah. Ca- care or care into the patterns, or was it all uh, fair? I would have tried just as hard in patterns, but like just I was just reflecting. Uh, black belt before I got any medal in patterns. It's probably black belt before I even won a round in patterns, to be honest. Jesus, um, got a European silver then. Yeah, I ended up getting <laughs> it. It's it's funny because there was a run there. I went seven tournaments in a row of getting a silver medal in patterns. And they kind of went from Europeans, European Cup, to a ski on open, which is like a, a very local tournament in Cork. You know what I mean? So like you're going from second in Europe to second in like a very local tournament. Yeah. And I was just crazy. It was just like a string of seven tournaments in a row. I remember I just got silver medal, silver medal, silver medal, one after the other. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. And then you give them up altogether. <laughs> I think I really do think that it's well, it is difficult to do board at a decent level especially senior I think junior you can get away with it a bit more um, but I think at senior you really need to focus like there's like when you when you think about it who are the people who are really excelling in both yeah it's becoming less like, and less yeah yeah you have Sylvia from Italy really and I really there's no one else that springs to mind besides that really yeah that's true yeah like even there's, there's no males really doing really successful across both of them is there yeah, like... Maxime Bujold is probably one of the... Yeah, that's... The few, that's, like, that's, but... He was solid, and yeah. Um, I can't really think of many others besides that. I think you, like, realistically, you need to be focusing on one because it, it just takes so much time to prepare for just one event. Never mind to all of them. Yeah, to be to multi-event, it's very hard. Especially uh, yeah. especially yeah, if, you're sure. going to, if you're going to be on team patterns then as well, you need to spend the time on the team patterns. You're trying to sp- yeah, put in time yourself with individual sparring and then trying to put in time then for individual patterns. It's, it's a lot to be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, do you know what though? It's good to do that as a junior, I think, because it puts you into a lot of different situations and it kind of makes you learn a bit quicker. 
you know, the more you get on the mats, the better it actually is. Like, because I remember my first championships uh, as a black belt was 2007 in Slovakia, and I literally entered every event. Now we had a very small team. It was like we, it was when Ireland were just kind of coming through. Yeah, uh, we had like five. Uh, junior males and every one of us like competed in everything so like we had five lads competing in team sparring team patterns uh, team power team spectac and all the individual events uh, but I actually think do you know what that was actually a good thing to just like get that experience under the belt kind of a little bit quicker than you would usually nowadays at least you know oh, yeah, I get the full experience of what a championships has to offer you yeah, know? yeah not, th- not and, that like because especially at your, at your first one like, it's very rare you win a medal so like yeah. just just getting on the floor as many times as you can like that's an experience in itself. Yeah, yeah. Like I think Ryan Ryan Shelley is probably the only lad who ever won a medal in his first one. Is do you know of anyone he's, else? He's one of very few. Did Dylan Fitzgibbon? Win. Dylan maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's quite fair. Like Dylan yeah, would have had experience of maybe kickboxing events and things like that. That's true. Like, yeah. Like to go. Actually, do you know what? There's actually I remember. Um, funny that you said that now. Because in the Euros in 2010, there's a picture where there's like all the crowd around. Do you know the, do you know the one I'm on about? And like around you? Yeah, and they're throwing me yeah, in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I remember, I never forget this. Ryan Shelley is actually standing kind of like in the background. Ah, uh, yeah. I think he's wearing a red jumper. It's, it, it sticks out in my mind all the time, and um, you can just see him looking on. And I think, do you know, just by him going to that event as a spectator as that well, was, that was massive. It's massive. Like, yeah, it was. Going, just being at the events, I think, is a massive, massive, massive thing. Just, it's it's completely different, like. Yeah, but like like that, your first time competing at one, you get on the floor, but really, you're kind of just taking in what's going on around you. You're just, yeah. you see you see what needs to be done. You see who's winning and how good they are and what they do, that what, what works for them. And you kind of go away and learn from that. He had that without ever actually having, stepping on the mats. So like he kind of got yeah. the same kind yeah. of experience. So I think, yeah, that, I definitely think that was a massive for for him thing. I remember my first one I literally just the first time we walked into the stadium I just sat in the seat uh, where the team was or whatever put the bag down and I just, just sat there for maybe an hour an hour and a half just looking around and it, you're kind of just taken back by the whole thing you know what I mean it's a what, what have you got yourself into yeah yeah <laughs> exactly. this is this is, not, this is not Neptune Stadium or Little Island oh, oh, big difference <laughs> uh, especially you know like as I said I only would have just got my black belt the December before I would imagine uh, yeah, 2006, exactly, yeah. Um, so, like, it's it's literally, like, a big uh, learning curve there between transitioning from a colour belt to a black belt, never mind, say, transition from a black belt to an international competitor, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially back then, I think. Maybe now it's a bit easier because the stepping stones are there from uh, people who've gone through the system and were a bit more prepared and the country as a whole is just has a higher level, you know what I mean? Um, but definitely, I think it was a different story back then. Yeah, there was nobody show, showing a path to come through and be successful. Yeah. Whereas like, there, like, people have seen, like we've had juniors win, we've had people go from junior to senior and win. So like everybody kind of can see the path of how it's maybe done. But maybe back then yeah. when you would have been coming in, wouldn't have been many medals picked up at the championships at all. Yeah, that's true. And I remember as well, um, Dylan Murphy, I, I used to always say to him when he was a junior, he was like, oh, do you know, I'm not really feeling too sharp in training. I don't know if I'm going to do well at this. And I always remember saying to him, like, you're sparring with the guys who are top, top level here in Ireland. When you go abroad, it's gonna that's going to show. Yeah, massive. Yeah, that, like the, uh, squad, the squad sessions are savage when you think about it. Yeah, you have you elite know? guys there. like, And, and that, that actual, that feeling of maybe not excelling in training is actually a good thing because it means... You know what I mean? You, you can't you can't really develop without with that you say like that um you know feeling of right this isn't really going so well. Yeah. But actually that's where the learning will take place. Yeah, the, the good one is you can't you have to you can't always be the hammer, sometimes you have to be the nail, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's that, yeah. That that uh that that helps like so you probably do most of the learning when you're the nail. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And then, I remember uh, like, there's a couple of lads that come to mind now where um, they were just coming through and they were just like literally threw themselves in there um, in tough, tough spars for a good week on end um, coming up to championships and it actually showed. Adam Foley would be another one that came to mind. Like yeah. When he was a junior coming through, he used to be always willing to get in there and spar with me um, and the bigger lads in the club at the time and it actually showed them because he was able to take that experience when he was a junior 
um, sparring bigger, stronger men as such. Like I would have been seen just maybe starting my senior career at that time. Um, so that would have been massive. But the, it's just all about that mindset of you not being afraid to throw yourself in the deep end in training. It's like it's, it's the training where is where the work has to be put in. You can't be worried about training and all right, I'll probably lose here. That's like you know, that's not going to be the attitude to have. So there's like there's, there's no medals handed out of training. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like it's all about getting stuck in and just trying to improve. Like if you, yeah, so if, you, if, you take, if you take a, once you have that first. yeah, if you take a hiding in training, it was only training. You get to come back the next day and give it another shot. Exactly, and I and I don't know anybody who's not really had to go through that. We say like um, stepping stone of getting a few hidings or whatever for a couple of months and then going through that and then developing. It's it's really it, it is the way to go as such. Like. Oh, you want to get better like yeah. how many times you see the per- uh, person first time out like on the team and uh, like first time at the squads is like getting a hard time of it but come just six months later for the second their second campaign second run of squads are like ten times better you know yeah. they just mix just mix it up way better with the people yeah. they're sparring against you know do you know even the girls there from my club now who went to their first squad session this year I see them they actually came back after their just very very first squad and I felt that their just persona and the way they carry themselves just was just completely different as if they had like, all right, I, I have this experience now of going through this, like, you know, this, this just is much easier for me now as a result. It's not really that it's a step down or anything, but it's, you know, when you put yourself in those difficult situations, anything yeah. that's normal as opposed to that, then is just going to be much easier. You know what I mean? Yeah. But a bit of a personal that level. Yeah. A bit of personal, like maybe, uh, validation kind of like well I'm some bit decent you know that like, yeah yeah you know, exactly. I, I, I can mix it with the best people at the national team on on the national team so coming back to the club is like sure that's that, that is it feels like a step down like but it gives you more confidence then in training to improve definitely as I said it's just raising your baseline because previously your baseline was always the club and now yeah. you're you want the squad so there's another level for you to reach towards you know what I mean so it's it's definitely a good thing to do and go through that um, if you want to make it to the top. Yeah, and like, you had a couple of championships where you didn't win at all. Yeah. And then you kind of all turned around then in 2010 where you managed to go on and win gold. Well, never mind say win a championship, so I never even won a round up until then. <laughs> uh, so uh, went some 20, step up. Yeah, 2007, 2008. Uh, went European Cup 2009, a few more tournaments, World Cup 2008 couple of times there and literally last first round every time and uh, then I went away to 2010 and I'll always remember actually <laughs> we were in the airport leaving you know and uh, as uh, cool, Mr. Cooley used to do back in the day you get you jump on the scales in the airport and check where you're at whatever yeah and at the time I was fighting plus uh, 70 kilos and he goes right you just check your weight and I stepped I stepped up and I was uh, I think it was like 71 72 kilos or something and he he went mad he was like oh my god you could have you could have done really well in the minus 70 division you could have won that it would have suited you so well and uh, it was funny like because when you look back now and I ended up winning the plus 70 division you still went like, and you won. Know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and some tough fights as well like oh, yeah them lads were monsters to be fair but like, <laughs> it, it did like even like even now really like fighting in plus 85 as a senior and fighting plus 70 then as a junior I think that that division suited me because as I said earlier like in that kind of like countering style and being a little bit more nimble a bit faster I think it did really suit the style that I had yeah that playful style yeah yeah just just chilling yeah just chilling exactly just just moving around sussing it out and just uh, just leaving a flow really, and um, I think it it like the bigger lads obviously just aren't as agile, and I think it kind of did play into my favour a little bit, especially in that um, 2010 event in Sweden. Like, yeah, the lads were like six foot. There was I remember the quarter final against Hungary. He was at least six foot five. He was massive. Uh, they were yeah, they were all monsters like. Yeah, the Finnish guy who Kale, who was now like massively into power he's walking around at about 130 kilos I'd imagine like he was massive as well he was a good 6 foot 6 foot 4 anyway I would imagine you know what I mean um, 
So once you can you can once you can get away of taking the shots off them lads and just move around, like it does kind of play in, into your favour. Um, no, having said that, I there was one fight that I had like twelve warnings or something from travelling because <laughs> they took up so much space. Yeah, like you're, but, you're having but, to uh, kick you having to kick guys in the head three times to win. Just, yeah, just to, yeah, yeah. What I thought was funny as well was like if you lined up everybody who was in that division at the end of it and said pick the winner, you wouldn't have been picking you because you look like you're after getting lumps beaten out of you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just because yeah, you had just I, so many rounds and like you were the couple of shots being, you did you would get hit with like that you would have felt them and they would have left a mark. Yeah, so like you wouldn't have picked yeah. if you lined you all up you wouldn't have picked to say oh yeah that guy won it because just by the way yeah. you, your way you look like a big black guy and could barely walk. And <laughs> yeah, two knocks on that one alright. I remember I still actually have a scar on the top of my toy uh, of taking a back kick right onto the top of the toy at that event. Yeah. And it just like broke the skin and it's actually like the skin is actually you can still see it now to this day. Um, by Daniel Locke in the first round against Scotland so my leg was dead going the whole way through and it was just adrenaline that pushed me through uh, and I remember then I woke up the next day and I couldn't walk I got out of bed and I just couldn't put any pressure on my left leg uh, and we team sparring that day um, so I was like oh god what am I going to do here um, so I just took two painkillers um, in the morning at breakfast and just like literally just pushed through on adrenaline then just crack on yeah just crack on you're always a big fan of team sparring. Oh, I love team sparring. <laughs> yeah, like even uh, it's, it's different. Like you know, it's I don't know. Like I just think there's uh, it's hard to explain, but like there's less pressure, but at the same time, it's more hyped or something. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. Different. Like probably something to do with me always wanting like as when I was really young, like fourteen, fifteen at championships, and like the the main event of the championships as such would have been the team sparring final centre stage everybody's there watching last event of the whole tournament and you know that would have been probably something that I actually looked up to a lot and kind of always wanted to do as such yeah, yeah um, so I, was, I was just saying to Hong like um, in the last podcast that there is something different to maybe about there's like a bigger not a bigger deal but there's just there's more eyes on the final of the team sparring yeah like individual it kind of, kind of very much depends on who's in what final and you know, not everybody from every country will watch it. If you don't have somebody from your country in the final, you might just yeah. tip away back to the hotel or whatever. But with the the senior male team sparring final, because it's the last event of the competition, everybody will watch it. You know, it has a big, yeah. it has a big spotlight on it. So, Definitely, and obviously the whole country then in the stand is behind you because they obviously want Ireland or whatever country you're from to win. Yeah, which is it just adds to the occasion then as well, just massively. You know what I mean? I think as well the fact that there's maybe you know, five matches in it. It's not just one, two twos. You know, you have, you know, five two minute rounds, and it kind of builds up a bit of tension and that there, like, and you're kind of seeing, yeah, especially yeah. now as well, like you know how many flags this person has to get, and there's a bit more added tension to it. I think definitely the flag yeah. system is definitely at the beginning. I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this, but it was the great call by the tournament committee, um, and it makes a, a massive difference to the anticipation yeah, of it. And it's the exciting, whatever. Yeah. And, I think yeah, I think I do think it's way better because, like that, every flag means something. Like you can't just be like, oh, like just nick, yeah. nick a win, and just run around. Which it's probably yeah. not great for the smaller fighters who are on the team. Because, yeah, yeah. You know, nick nick a win and get your two points. But even the difference just, between winning three one and winning three nil, like three with one draw, is yeah. massive. Like yeah, big time, big time. But like. Yeah, it makes a massive difference and that excitement, and especially like I said in the in the final. Uh, yeah, that year in two thousand fourteen, in was, was that Riccioni, was it? Yeah, Riccioni. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that one was massive. I remember it was nine all at the end of the five fights. We had nine flags each against Poland, and like that was that was a massive one. And like it, it was literally that came down to a warning in the last fight. It was Dylan. Dylan had the the know how to check the scoreboard and know that if he got one more warning for the opponent, that he would have pulled the flag back, which would have got us to a draw. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's that massive, like, and he just literally charged forward with his guard up. And uh, Radic, the guy from um, Poland, the eighty-five fighter, he just pushed him back out of the ring, and that was it. It flipped it whatever way, and it just ended up being nine-nine. Then as a result, you know what I mean? Sudden death. And that's it, just anticipation, like, you know, complete excitement. You know, it just doesn't get any better, really. But that's that's actually what it does do with the flags. You don't see many draws, do you? 
how many draws do you oh, remember you across yeah. the, the tournament like before because with the points like you could get 2-2 two, two and a draw across the five yeah, matches yeah. whereas now like the chances that you're going to pick up the exact same amount of flags across five matches that it's actually very rare yeah like that I think that is one of the like, I'm sure it has maybe happened more but it's one of that's one of the only times it really sticks out in my head maybe because it was uh, a final yeah. do you know but, yeah because it was a final as well it was probably a massive one and it, it would have been um it would have been uh, my first one as well being in the final so I, that will always stick out for me and you know, always a big big one yeah and would well 2015 is obviously the, probably the sweetest one though is it yeah um obviously it's great winning the worlds it's like it's obviously massive but um that 2014 one is i i still have to have it up there as well it was just massive because uh, as I said it was my first one I always dreamed of being on centre stage and the team final at the end as a kid and just being involved in that and just the occasion being being walked out um, and we were led out by a lad on the Scottish team there with bagpipes and things like that and yeah. it was just it was just it was great to be part of it you know and um, then there would have been 2014 there would have been maybe would there have been two three maybe sparring finals between that and and uh, the world's final I think so yeah. like it was not like we were used to it but um, you know what I mean obviously the, f- the first time is probably a little sweeter even though we, we didn't end up winning that one we uh, we were beaten in the final but still but obviously it was the- world champ as, as Team Ireland is massive yeah but I think you know, as well like the way maybe that final went in Riccione was well, like Obviously, you didn't win, but like you couldn't have pushed it much closer. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like there was a lot of excitement, like, and the, you had to get that flag, that warning at the end, to pull back that yeah. flag just to get it to the draw. Like nearly just getting it to the yeah. best fighter would have been nearly felt like a win. Yeah, know, that's true. Do you know? Because yeah, was, and even Adam, Adam even switched it around in his fight as well because I think he was down for a while. Um, so I think I went, I was, I went out third, and I think we were, we were down by a good bit anyway. Uh, and I, I think I won three one or something or three nil one or the other. Um, so we were kind of back in it, and then Adam went out next, I think, and he he was down for a good bit. And if he lost that by maybe two flags or more, I think we were done. Uh, and he ended up pulling it back, so that was massive. And that was only the fourth fight, and then we had another one left to to push it to get that draw, you know. Yeah. So I, like that one w- would be hard to beat for sure. Yeah, good. But it was a good buzz watching it. I remember being there, actually, yeah, watching it. And your man coming out with the bagpipes, it kind of, yeah, it added, it added a good buzz to the stadium. We, you were on about talking about the the team sparring final and the Euros. Oh but. yeah, I think. Oh yeah, I think what I was saying um, before the connection dropped there, um, just that that confidence was massive as well in the team event. Like I remember the World Cup in 2012, being my first senior team event, and just being around the lads, like being around the likes of like. Um, Stephen Ryan and all these guys who would have been, would have been on the team for years and years it kind of just give you that, that, that boost you know um, it was just a massive confidence builder just to be around and be part of that team yeah guys have um, been there for years like even uh, Hong like guys you'd be proud to go to battle with kind of thing you know what I mean they, yeah, they, yeah. That, they've been there they've done that um, and I think that was actually a massive thing as well just in the team to, to give you that little bit of extra confidence Um and as well, I, I, I remember like in the individual event, um, I was disappointed. I was wanting to do well that year and I was beaten by a German guy uh, and I ended up beating him then in the team sparring the next day. So that in, as well just gave me that little bit of confidence, you know what I mean? And um, in that Riccioni team event, just to push forward and uh, yeah, just ended up being one of those great ones, you know? Yeah. And, oh, unfortunately, we lost out. It'll always be one that I'll remember. Yeah, but as I was uh me and Hong spoke about it was uh, that no matter even if individual sometimes goes poor if you do well in a team event like if you take nearly any medal whether it be and even if it's the patterns or spa, uh, sparring or patterns uh, if you take, even take a bronze like that just changes your memory on that competition so much yeah, definitely know? like it just turns That's it around like you have a good memory like you, you have a great memory in you memory in your mind of that tournament as opposed to like you don't even remember like oh individual went, went shite like you know yeah that's a good <laughs> like, if I wasn't in that team event it probably would have been one of the worst worst events I've, I've been to and I would have been you know like oh let's forget about that one ASAP you know what I mean yeah but you said it, it, yeah that's a good point it just changes it around completely like and uh, 
moving on just a little bit. Uh, you what? What made you you open the club? When did you open the club? Um, phew, let me see. Would have been maybe two thousand uh, late two thousand and thirteen, fourteen, maybe. Yeah. Around that time, I think. Um. So yeah, it was always a dream of mine, really, because I like ever since I suppose since I was a black belt it was always kind of in my mind to have my own club and it would be great and uh, in the club that I that I started out in I was uh, doing a little bit of instructing there and coaching and instructing or assisting um, and that kind of just gave me the push to kind of go on and maybe do my own thing you know yeah um, so it was always a dream of mine so we just started out one class a week a couple of kids turned up nothing special and it was just like literally just that slow process of just building and building and building and like it, it took a long time like there was times in the club where there was just like maybe five or six in a class for a good while you know what I mean and literally like you're just li- literally playing the rent out of your own money and things like that um, but you just ha- you have to stay patient with it and just try build and build and build uh, I know it's, it's great where the club is right now at the moment you know Um got third place in the overall medals at the Munster Open they're just gone yeah that's unreal that was, un- that was unreal because rel- relative, yeah. relatively new club in yeah, terms of so, at, that, at that scale like definitely because you've got some real experienced clubs there who've been around like over 20 years like um, so to be up there to come to compete with those is, was massive I wasn't really expecting it to be honest um, you know what I mean so like hats off to the lads they were outstanding like you know what I mean and I just think the, the culture that we've built is, is is just really really good in terms of that like it's just people in the club are just fantastic like I literally couldn't fault them like you know what I mean it's it's a great environment to be in and it's just fantastic at the moment like you know everything is is going great and I was I was actually only last weekend I was talking to Adrian about it and I was like <laughs> eventually there's going to be some sort of a lull it's just natural it's going to happen you know what I mean it's just that yeah yeah such a relatively new club that it's it's just all rosy in the garden at the moment, like you know what I mean. So long yeah. may that continue anyway. It's how you keep that going, like yeah. But yeah, it, but it's it's great to see. It's great to see, like you said, a relatively new club, a different club coming in and stepping in there to, the, in, onto the top of the medals table, you know, because it, yeah, it, yeah. it gets a bit stale after. What well, like, it's nearly always well River Valley are nearly always number one, like because they that that's just their club is fairless. In fairness, is just savage, for the yeah. the consistency. Like Cork, then like with uh, Mister Buckley, like they're always up near the top. Like so, then to see a new one come in, then third is always, I love seeing that. Yeah, so, yeah. And it especially was when it's a, especially when it's a buddy as well, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can't go wrong. Uh, so no, it was great. As I said, like to be up there with with those coaches who have like built strong, strong clubs over years and years and years. It's it was it was massive for me. You know what I mean. Uh, something that I'm really proud of and um, proud of all the lads that were involved in that as well you know what I mean yeah yeah big time and like I know you're obviously a big kind of advocate like for uh, using games in the in the club like yeah. to, to, to learn and to, to teach like fundamental movements fundamental skills would that always would you always have been like that Did, like, were you like that were you like that when you started from the from the very beginning or was that kind of something that you just kind of thought to make yeah, it more, make it more enjoyable. Maybe like when you said you only had five or six in a class, and it's kind of if you're just to straight up stick them in lines and teach them technical stuff, that could be yeah. a bit, bit boring. So you had to kind of spice it up a bit. Um, I like at the beginning, I would have just literally just continued from what I know, whatever class I would have been in. I literally would have just been copying that, and as you go, you kind of just adjust it, tweak it a little bit here and there, and before you know it, you kind of have your own system or whatever. Um, but I, I was always kind of like creative in terms of like thinking up of right here's an exercise here now and if I did this this and this then it would go a different way you know what I mean and I was always like thinking and how could I change this to suit this and taking things from other sports and things like that Um, and then eventually it just turned into like I had like loads of things that people were interested in and they were like oh that's really cool I was like yeah I didn't even think that like that was different or anything it was just something that we kind of like changed one day and then maybe somebody said what about this what about this and then it just kind of like spirals that way you know what I mean yeah somebody de- yeah. developed the game <laughs> yeah exactly um, but just going back to games I think there's a uh, like there's a massive um, misunderstanding with coaches I think um, and what a game is like I think do you know what like 
in an ideal world, you should really change the name game of the approach that we use. Like, there's, there's gamification in terms of you're making something more engaging, you're making it more fun, whatever. That's one side. Yeah. Um, but if people mix that up with like games in terms of games for understanding. Now, I have to say, I don't really go with the games for understanding approach too much. Um, like talking about sparring now specifically, um, I would be kind of more leaning towards more of a constraints-led approach. Yeah. Now, there yes. are similarities there, but they're not the same. Like basically, a constraint-led approach, a very simple one would be like, putting an obstacle in the way that you got to kick over it. So, like, there is a lot of coaches that are actually using this approach, um, but they just don't know because they just don't know the theory of it and they haven't researched it or whatever, but yeah. they're actually, in practice, they're kind of working that type of approach. But um, I didn't, because I was listening to a podcast, uh, I got into a podcast there one time, I don't know, even how I found it or whatever, but it's called a Talent Equation. It's probably Adrian, because um, he's mentioned that to me before as well. Yeah, I've mentioned that to Adrian a few times, and that literally sparked my interest um, in skill acquisition and how do people learn, how do people develop skills, like how do you, and it was always like a big interest for me of bringing a, a raw beginner in the door. How do you get them to elite level? Yeah. And what are the steps in place? How do you teach them the skills? What's the most efficient way to go about that? Um, so that was always on my mind, and I was always researching it in my own spare time or whatever. Um, and then I just kind of like tweaked a few things and I noticed then there was nothing really there in terms of martial arts for that type of approach like there was a lot of people um, who were just you know hitting pads and then expecting that to translate naturally into sparring Yeah. which if you think about it like any combination or whatever of course you're working technique but if you just hit pads and you expect that to just like alright we're doing so well here now of hitting psychic on the gloves and following it in with I don't know a, like a blitz or whatever um, but it's not really shown in the sparring why and like that's like that was a massive thing of getting of doing the research and finding out that this is probably why yeah like- uh, you need to you need to have a lot of like decision making and game speed and then that's that's the thing then you see people think games and they think oh let's gamify like a game of tag chase game of tag that's always yeah, I'll try and tag you with a sidekick <laughs> yeah 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 and um, like that is not a game like no um, so I think the name actually misleads people a little bit yeah I kind uh, of I try to think of it nearly like uh, like conditioned spares kind of yeah. it's nearly you know yeah. you you do you, you do x you do y and you both try and figure out what's going to work best exactly you know? so basically what you're doing as a coach is you're facilitating a certain sequence a certain environment a certain problem or whatever and you're trying to help the athletes to discover a solution or find a way because you got to realize as well like combat sports not just itf taekwondo all martial arts they're very non-linear in terms of like you don't go in there and every fight starts with okay let's start with a jab you know yeah, what i mean yeah yeah there's, there's no two fights that will ever be the exact same it's just such a it's like it's just so dynamic and different that and then you got people who have different approaches and it still works you know what i mean there's many ways to do something like there's yeah. no real correct technique as such there are efficient techniques for sure but there's no perfect technique because like everything can work in a certain area, a certain environment. Um, so I think that that thing as well is a massive part of the approach that we use because like people are different. They have different flexibility, physical um, traits, you know, they have different coordination and things like that. And it's just being able to put the environment that everybody can, can literally adapt to that using their approach. Now, obviously we, we still, um, cover a lot of technique um, oh, yeah. but, there's still a reason that you do that you, yeah, for a reason for drilling like I think like the reason for drills like you get the technique but then it's like the the hardest part is how do you get the drilling from the technique into the free spar yeah you know, and, and, and that, that's literally repetition without repetition yeah. so like what yeah. is repetition without repetition it's like literally getting in those reps yeah. without doing it in a like okay let's make a line here you hit the pad I hit the pad you hit the pad I hit the pad so it's reps that way but in a more dynamic more like realistic approach yeah where a decision so has have, to be made exactly so like there's still like there's somebody trying to hit you there's somebody trying to 
like enforce their game to win and that's wh- where it's called a game then yeah. because if I'm with you sparring whatever you're trying to beat me by impacting your approach and your constraint or your technique your sequence whatever it is on me so then that's where the game aspect comes in it yeah. makes it a little bit more engaging and and the reason for that is to make it like more like game speed because yeah, a lot of things yeah. like speed they're not really game speed you know what I mean and when, when I say game speed I mean fight speed yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so like a lot of things you're hitting the drills and it's not really realistic um, so I think that's a massive thing um, just being able to get that and put it in like we literally did an experiment of let's try this approach for a couple of months and like the results have been exceptional yeah. um, I can see I can literally see the things that we've been training and put them and they're they're coming out in practice completely um so like the key to that then is how do you create these that's the challenge so yeah I, yeah yeah, yeah. I, like, I, it's how I, do you how do you structure the the, yeah, the so-called game or the so-called like uh conditions but how do you structure that like who what shots do you give what person what maybe yeah. other constraints do you put on it to to generate the the type of situations and circumstances that you that you want to see and actually develop Exactly, because there's massive amounts of theory out there of this is why it works, this is why you should do it, blah, 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 blah. But there's actually not much information of how to go about putting it in place. So I was researching all different sports. I tried looking up boxing, martial arts, uh, all different sports. But it's mostly like this approach is mostly um, with team sports, especially in the States. Um, So you have like American football and things like that where it's a, it's a big thing. Um, so the challenge really was to sit down, think of what you're trying to do, and literally put that in place for IPF Taekwondo. So it's really, really important that you actually have a deep understanding of the game of, of Taekwondo, of Taekwondo sparring. Yeah. And you need, you need to really know what you're doing and why you're doing it, what works, what doesn't work, um, common sequences, the rule sets, etc. So you need to really have a deep, deep, deep understanding of the game um, before you go and try replicate it in uh, a training environment. So you, you like you have to understand what um, what way you're going to um, put that, enforce it in terms of what constraints. Okay, what if I have we say like a common one we use is first to three body kicks after any hands. So you, if you punch two or more times and you can kick to the body, first to do that three times is a winner. And that's where we talk about games. But then, as I said earlier, it's just that that mix-up of people don't... They think of a game as yeah, different. But it's, miss, it's missing the, the, the second part of that for understanding. Yeah. Understand, you know, it's just yeah. you know, if yeah. you focus on the game and, oh, we have to make it fun and uh, it's no, it's games for understanding. It's that second part. Understanding, it's massive. Yeah, you know, yeah. that it isn't actually enough emphasis put on it when you're thinking about it. Yeah, and it's 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 you know what is a big challenge as well as when you take an approach like this, uh, you need to kind of like step back a little bit from like direct coaching. You kind of need to use like um, a little bit more questioning. Yeah, now, that's not- massive. That's one thing I try yeah. to use all the time. Is before like personally, I tend to I'll ask like ask a few questions before you give your input. Mm-hmm. You know, see what they, what did they think themselves. What yeah. were they thinking in that situation? What were they trying to try? And then you can give your feedback based on, well, like, this is usually what happens or this is generally a good idea to maybe try this or this. Give them a few ideas and then see, will they try that and does it work? But don't go don't go straight in telling, telling them what to do. Ask them questions and get a feedback from them. 100%. Because it's not about, it's not, a, the task as you coach is not about how much information you have, how much knowledge you have. It's about, how can you put these athletes in a situation where they can develop their own brain uh, revolving around sparring or whatever the sport is? You know what I mean? You have to be able to facilitate that development of their thinking. Yeah. Because, as I said earlier, like personalities when you're fighting, when I was younger, obviously, it was a bit more gung-ho or whatever, and then as your personality changes, that's the same thing. Like If I have everybody in my club uh, like fight the same way, it's not going to suit them. So you need to be able to develop the, the brain and the decision-making and things like that. And you need to put these things in place to do that. Um, so you can't really – you have to bite your tongue a little bit because at times it's very difficult because you're like, oh, I have a solution here, but you need to bite your tongue. 
and maybe like put them in situations where they can figure it out themselves. Yeah, let them. Maybe yeah. they'll actually come up with a, um, a a solution that is not the way you'd go about it, but it still works. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Like oftentimes, asking them a question, they have the right idea. Like they'll have the yeah. answer to the question, but then it's actually just it takes practice, nearly just to do it, just to be in the yeah. situation yeah. and try it, try it out over and over again, and get it to work. Do you know? Exactly. So, like you literally have to do it as well. Like there's steps to it. You know what I mean? You can't just throw them in the deep end and expect them to do it. As I said, it, there has to be that foundation first of maybe building a little bit of technique so they can use it. Um, yes, yeah, so like if you're going to work, right, we're going to work in, we're going to work counters on psychic, but you haven't got anybody who can throw a psychic. It's like, well, yeah. well, your game is going to be useless because it's just not going to work. So you have to spend time of like training, hitting pads of repetitions on psychics, and then you can potentially maybe bring it into a game. And then how to counter it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you have to have a good foundation of some some of the techniques before you can get people to throw them and put them in yeah, the game. You know, you need to have a bit of a base there. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's interesting then because like if you if you flip that around onto the more we call it the advanced level, like there are certain things that are kind of like well, we wouldn't really do this usually because it's not efficient and so you know what I mean. There are techniques that you say right there's an unwritten rule that you wouldn't really throw this because there's this will happen usually. Um, so then that comes into play as well where there's, there is a rhythm to it. There's like yeah. um, sequences that like happen so often that when you actually break it up and do the thing that is considered a poor technique, it actually ends up working. Yeah. Like, like a, a massive example is like a foot to foot psychic. Yeah. yeah like big, you would big, big. each kid or a, a beginner to do that because if you literally they just get closed down every time with the hands um, because people will see the step. But yeah. then when you flip that around because everybody is trained not to do that and everybody picks up the knee and drives forward, lifts and shifts forward every time they throw a psychic, when the brain sees a foot-to-foot psychic, it, it, it's different. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, the brain is not tuned into this movement pattern because we've been seeing subconsciously these shots have been ingrained in our motor patterns over years and years and years of sparring. Um, it's not normal, you know. And then because you see guys who are actually landing foot foot psychics, you're like, whoa, like, yeah. Oh. But that's, and about, that's, that's it, it, like, yeah. And it's a that's like a specific kind of maybe skill or situation. Like I yeah. think I think like with beginners, you, I think you can split it up into two. Like you have maybe uh, general kind of skills or techniques, and then you have maybe more specific skills or situations. I think when with beginners you spend a lot more time on the general ones and putting the general yeah. ones into games but then I think like that as you start to get to the more advanced level you can really kind of niche it down to like a specific kind of situation of yeah. like that a foot to foot or maybe like if you are having a game of right you're stuck on the edge or you're stuck in the corner and how are you yeah. going to get out like you can spend you know you can kind of break that down into a bit of a game there yeah like you're not like if you and, and it's not even just like alright here you are you're in the corner I'm not off you go it's not really that either because you need to really facilitate it a little bit more to have it a little bit more engaging and because yeah, I've yeah, been in yeah. that situation where I've done that myself I've been in like training in those kind of environments where people have a decent understanding of the approach but they're just missing that final piece for it to be you know that little bit extra yeah, yeah. And that, that's kind of like what we're trying to push through then with the TKD Coach Academy at the moment just literally just trying to get that through of um the just the little bit of misunderstanding that is there generally you know what i mean yeah and was it was it really you just tried it in the club there for a period of time and it kind of just started to work yeah, as, yeah pretty much so i just started out with one game um started becoming right i can see things are kind of flowing from this uh let's sit down think of another one let's think of another one think of another one. and then they start to develop from themselves so now we're actually at a situation where the athletes in my club are so in tune with this as they can actually come up with their own situations, their own games. And you'd be surprised like if you, if you give them the rope to actually go away and do that, they can actually come up with more creative situations than you've ever thought of. Yeah. Because of, like I said, that, that knowledge of the game that you have in your head is so ingrained and this works, this doesn't work. Sometimes you become a little bit, I wouldn't say close-minded, but you have your own set ways. Yeah, just, it's difficult, obviously, yeah. As experience, they actually can come up with some more creative uh, opportunities. You know what I mean? As a result, yeah. Like, so Adrian has used that kind of approach for 
years. And I remember kind of a lot of the time when I would have been maybe colour belt or just into black belt, like I'd be a bit like, oh, Jesus, can we just go and spare? Like, can we just free spare? You know, uh, yeah. I, and I would have just been like, oh, like, Jesus, condition it. We never free spare. But then it's like you see, as I progressed, and I, could, I started seeing the benefit of it, of how oh, we actually, oh yeah, that situation that we had in training the other day, it's actually, it's coming up in despair and it's working. I have the right yeah. the right answer. And then you start to see, as I got more into coaching, I started to see there's a real benefit to it. And you start, Absolutely. You know, the size kind of mad, like I would have just been like, oh, this is a lot of rubbish before. But yeah, it, it, it has developed. Having that little bit of the final piece of the puzzle. Um, because like, literally, if you walked into my club now and you've seen this approach going um <laughs> there's just an ice cream van passing outside my house All so right. you might pick it there right uh so as i was saying yeah so that just final piece um of the puzzle is so important because if you walked into a club or my club any night and you just seen this going on you'd say right this is just normal sparring yeah and that's what the, that's the point it's meant to look like normal sparring because then when it translates it translates much more fluidly you know what I mean, and you gotta have it as similar as possible, but just maybe you're just little, you're just maybe constraining certain things you can and can't do for certain situations and sequences to to appear more often, basically. Yeah. Um. So it's just it's it's a little bit more, as you said, conditioned. Um. So you're really specifically honing in on a, a certain area or thing you want to improve on, a thing you want to adjust or whatever. You know what I mean. Yeah, but like, I even think as well, it's it's not really a new thing. Like, if you think about it for other sports, no. we'll just say, just say soccer, right? Yeah. Like, like when you go out and play soccer with your mates when you were younger, like that was basically nearly like the same idea as a game for understanding whether it was like you know uh, a game of World Cup, a game of yeah, um, yeah. heads That's and a, a game of heads and volleys or something like that. Or you think of going yeah. to hurling training and you played backs and forwards or something like that. Yeah. It's yeah. it's kind of essentially the same. You know that um, that kind of idea, like it, there was kind of some constraints. You might have came up with even, you know, you maybe came up with some teams yourself, yeah, uh, like heads and volleys. There, nearly every group of kids probably had a little twist on it themselves, of their own little rule on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a flick is worth five, or a header is worth two, or yeah, you know, exactly. all this. Is, like you came up with it yourself, and that helped you improve your skills. Like you didn't even feel like you did. It never felt like training because you were just outside with yeah. your buddies and a ball. But like I think it's because of the environment that we train in. Where it tends to be in a hall, and you know, it's just it doesn't kind of translate like that. Like you're not just going to go go out with your mates, throw on a set of hand pads and foot pads, and go come up with a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like, but you're basically as a as a coach, kind of trying to uh, re- replicate those situations or replicate that environment yeah. in the club. Yeah, hmm. literally trying to just facilitate that. Uh, that's actually funny because I haven't really thought of that, but that is literally what you're doing. Yeah, that's it. Like it's just. It, that that is it. That's why I kind of think of it. It's just, and I think that's maybe even why you said that a lot of times the kids come up with better themselves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The same way you would if you were out kick, kicking a ball or just knocking a boat. Yeah, but like the as you were saying, like it's it's not a new thing because like if it's actually funny how like um, the social media is different. Like because if there's n- there's no information on this stuff. Well, I wouldn't say no, but there's very little information on this. Uh, type of training approach or whatever you want to call it on Instagram there's very little of it on Facebook um, you literally have to do you know where you're you need to know where you're looking to find it on Google um, but then on Twitter once you can find one person who's talking about this it just leads you down so many paths it's the conversation about this type of training on Twitter is absolutely massive so like the information is there for everybody if they just put in the time but the problem is then you need to be creative in your approach and how do you create these specifically for the sport that you want, yeah. specifically for the, the, the like style of sparring or combat or whatever you're talking about that you want to have. Um, so that's that's where the tricky part comes in. Like The theory is there, and it's been around for years and years and years. There's been different names, different ways it's not, of... Uh, it's just not mainstream. like. Yeah, it's just not mainstream yet, but the, the challenge definitely is for combat sports of just being creative enough to come up with these situations and environments that actually will benefit in the sparring ring or whatever you're talking about you know what I mean Yeah. because it's there for other sports just not for combat yet because it's such a traditional thing martial arts that it's still it's still seen as right the only way that you can get better at sparring or fighting or whatever you're doing is hitting pads 
yeah, or else, that, or else, or else, just go free, free spar, or like you know, yeah, or just spar. just just go like that's spar. And you even see it there in MMA these days when you look at like the vlogs of the embedded vlogs, and you look at all these training camps or whatever. It's literally right. I have a pad session today. I'm sparring tomorrow. I'm yeah. doing pads. Then again, actually, yeah. the next day. How do you bridge the gap then? And yeah, there, there has to be that. There has to be a gap there between. Um, and that that's a, a big thing that's missing I think in just across the board in combat sports whether you're talking about taekwondo MMA whatever yeah like you know, do you, you think- I don't know if you follow him um, John Danaher he's a jiu-jitsu guy he would have been jiu-jitsu coach for George uh, St. Pierre and a couple of oh, other I guys I would have heard of him yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, he, him, but. but he says that he put up a post a couple of months back and it's basically said they have a lot of the same problems not really problems but the same situations really in jiu-jitsu that it's a lot of like just go and roll or else it's yeah. drilling a specific technique or you know specific a specific hold or whatever that there's no gap in terms of like a game and replicating a, a bigger situation or scenario in the in the contest you know so I think like it is it's not just those it is across all con- uh, combat sports that it's very black and white on we're doing this and we're doing this and there's nothing kind of in between as well from my experience I do think that in tra- traditionally like in in martial arts there is this mindset of training needs to be really really physical and really hard and you need to leave it sweating um, which can kind of a little bit interrupt with the learning in terms of as I said earlier we're trying to develop the brains and uh, decision making and things like that if you're if it's sport you're talking about like these like anybody can make anybody tired in a class it's yeah, the person yeah. who literally teaches somebody something and it, it can be it can be retained by that person is where the real coaches stand out. Yeah, that's like the skill anybody, in it. Yeah, that's the skill. Anybody can teach a general fitness class that is kind of related to Taekwondo. You know, you do this, oh, let's do this, do this, do this, and you'll end up leaving sweating. But, like, have you actually learned anything? Have your Has your, like, sparring brain or whatever, has that actually developed and improved in that session? Or over time, um, and like a lot of time, the answer is no. Yeah, that's true. It is like yeah. Like you see a lot of things, like you see it massively now these days because of social media, of like no within reason as well because you always there's always context. You gotta know like you're obviously not in the head of the coach why they're picking a certain thing. They might be doing it just literally as a fun warm, just to get people flowing and engaged or whatever. But in general, a lot of the things that you will see in classes, um. You, when you think about it and you ask yourself the question, like, how does this benefit, like, what we're actually training to do? And yeah. a lot of time it doesn't, like, like even things like there, like, um, do you know, like, you see these agility lights now and people are flicking their feet over them and all that. And they're saying, oh, I'm getting faster. My, my reflexes are faster. My agility is better. But that is actually not the case. There's so much research out there yeah. that shows that that is, like, your reactions, first of all, are dependent on motor cues. Like there's one hundred like tr- chunking kind of Yeah, chunking okay. is a massive thing. Yeah. Like I always talk about that on our Instagram and whatever. But um it's literally like there's research done on baseball for example. And when do you know the the things that automatically fire the ball out? Yeah. Yeah, like the reaction speed from them and then somebody throwing a ball is completely different. Yeah, but so the, diff- the machine is the same thing all the time. Whereas a person yeah. a, every person will throw the ball different. And the big thing is that there's subcon- subconscious motor cues that you pick up as a batter yeah. that you'll see. So even if you translate that to, to combat sports, ITF, Taekwondo, whatever, like somebody, by without you even realizing, because somebody's body position turns like a couple of centimeters, you subconsciously know that there's a certain kick or certain punch or whatever, or a certain movement, certain step is coming based on that. And that is just literally down to your reaction of being in that. And that, again, relates back to that bridging the gap. Because you've been in that environment um, so much where you see things happen subconsciously, your motor um, cues will develop in your brain and it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And that is a massive thing as well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think that's even, like, it was back a couple of months ago, I was seeing lots of people. I saw on kind of, I saw can't remember who it was they were doing the drills where they were kind of dropping off pads and then straight away into kicking and yeah it's like and then all of a sudden i started seeing loads of videos of people doing that and it's kind of like yeah. well 
yeah, there def- well, definitely there's a benefit to that. Like, they're not saying there's anything wrong with doing that. But what I would ask, like, what I would think is like, did you put that into your training because maybe you saw it someplace else, or yeah. is that in there because it was part of the overall training program? Do you know, you and, and, and and I th- and I think and I think the same even sometimes even with resistance bands or the the cords. Yeah, like, yeah. I, is that part of a program of like that training, or did you just turn up that day and decide? Do you know what? I'll use <laughs> I'll use a resistance band today, or I'll yeah, use or I'll jump off a pad today. It's like that then has no relevance to getting you better at all because like one session on its own doesn't make a difference. Like do you know, sometimes I wonder that it's like, is is there actually a thought process behind that? Like you were saying, or is it just uh, I saw this on Instagram. I'll try that now this evening and so we we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, like as I said, two things on that. Um, like obviously context is important because sometimes even myself, I'm a little bit uh, conscious of right. I'm putting this up, but yet I'm not preaching. But I, I'm I'm saying this is the way to go. Maybe yeah. And yet just put up a, a thing but there, there has to be context there has to be as you said a step-by-step program of why you're doing that and um, so once you understand that it then that's okay but like there there is um you need you need to kind of reverse engineer as such like what is the finished product that you want and then you need to work backwards and put the steps in place to get that you can't just say right this looks good let's put this in play and hopefully it will end up um, my athletes being better at this, this, and this. That's not really how you do it. You have to reverse engineer and go backwards. So yeah. you want an athlete that is like X, Y, and Z. How do you put the steps in place to get that? Not if I do this, the answer will be this. Do you get me? Yeah, 100% I get it's you. Quite, yeah. like, it's, it's kind of complicated, but basically like people are just hoping that if you do an agility drill, the overall agility would be better, which is not the case. You have to like have the retention and... Um, and like as such has to be it's has to be translated into that specific event yeah like general agility or whatever isn't gonna like if, if you can do 25 somersaults in gymnastics it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to be very good at, at moving around the ring in taekwondo yeah it's like it's specificity of adaptation i think is kind of what it's called isn't that, it or yeah, no yeah, one like yeah and so kind of just linking that back in into maybe the TKD Coach Academy, that's kind of some of the stuff that you're working on there, isn't it? Yeah, so like basically that just the kind of, I, ever since I started coaching, even when I was like an assistant coach, I always kind of like had a like, um, I always wanted to create like a database of all the exercises I taught up of and things like that. Yeah. So I always, I've had so many through the years. I had a notebook, I've had the notes app on my phone, I've had websites that I just had access to myself. I've done loads of ways. Um, and then literally like that was kind of like how it all came together. Um, so I decided to maybe post some of them on Instagram just for myself, just to be able to have a little bit of a library or whatever. And that was kind of the initial idea. And then people started getting given feedback and they're like, whoa, this is really cool. Um, and people started being a bit positive towards it. Um, and then Adrian approached me uh, one day and he was basically saying, you know, what you're doing is fantastic. There's not really many people out there who are focusing on the coaching. All Instagram seems to be just performance-based. Yeah. Putting up videos of right scoring a great shot, uh, a picture of a great kick landing, whatever. But everyone's focused on the performance. There's no one really focused on content that revolves coaching as such. Now, there are other platforms out there, but it's kind of different setup as such. Um, so yeah, um, we decided to maybe join forces there together because, as you said, I always knew from the national team that um, that was his kind of mindset anyway, especially yeah. with background in um, sports science and things like that. Um, so that's kind of where it stemmed from. Um, so basically, we're just trying to help people to bridge the gap, as you said there earlier, between that theory and actual putting it into practice, because that's actually somewhere that we've put a lot of time into ourselves um, that has literally come from lots of reading, lots of research. Um, so we just decided to maybe like package it together specifically for ITF Taekwondo and basically see what people think of it. But like it's, it was always just going to be like a side project for people. If they're happy with it, um, you can take these things on board because like they are things that we are going to be running in our club anyway. So whether you like it, whether you don't like it, no problem. It's not going to really affect us. We're going to stick with these kind yeah. of training methods anyway, yeah. and hopefully the results will speak for themselves. You know? Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, 
I'm looking forward to seeing some of the other stuff that's uh, going to come out of it. I've enjoyed a lot of the stuff that's uh, that you've done so far with it. Yeah. And uh, like have, I, said, uh, I think it's a great idea. We have, a, we have an ebook kind of coming up. I'm assuming actually in the next week or two, maybe hopefully, and um, which kind of, as I said, bridge. Remember we were talking about earlier bridging the gap from the isolation training to getting in the ring and performing it. Yeah. Um. So it's going to cover two specific techniques of um a blitz technique and a back kick. So nice. that's what we're going to start off. And we're going to put some sessions together, which literally bring that from such foundation ground level and just build that up into potentially carrying it over into um, performance as such. Very good. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, yeah, we got a lot up there. Yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, so you can give a quick plug there to where can people find you on social media? Um, so yeah if anybody is interested in, in any of the things we talked about there or literally wants to have a chat about my approach or my philosophy or whatever um, you can just get on to us on TKD Coach Academy so you can get on to us on Facebook Instagram literally all social media um, yeah and that's pretty much where it's all at Savage uh, thanks a million for doing it uh, I appreciate it thanks very much uh, it's been great to chat with you yeah yeah we, we talked about it since the start uh, about getting you on so it was yeah, good, it's, yeah. good, it's good to get it done uh, just okay. like so um, yeah uh, again just from uh, my point of view uh, if you've been, been enjoying the podcast make sure to like uh, sh- uh, review subscribe uh, and share on so- across all social media and uh, you can find the podcast at uh, the black belter underscore on Instagram and just the black belter on Facebook so thanks a